Welcome to the Frankly Who Cares podcast. It's the Frankly Who Cares podcast, the podcast that watches lots of sports matches, masquerades that as research, then gathers in a hotel in Teddington, ignores all the research and picks the England players anyway. Today we discuss which rules should be changed in sports and have an aimless meander through the sporting wilderness. Hello and welcome to the Frankly Who Cares podcast with me, Tom, and as usual, Al, how are you? Not bad. Nicely done on the intro. One take wonder. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, the time it takes you to work out how to put your microphone on, I could have recorded it like four times over. (laughs) Yeah, touche, as they say. (laughs) Yeah, how you been? All right. Yeah, good. Yeah, we're fully into the swing of summer now. I've had my first cricket match outside, which was absolutely freezing. So, you know, classic good. summer summer mm-hmm. times. You? Good. Uh, obviously still in the, the glow of us meeting up for the first time in six months in person. Go down the pub a couple of weeks, uh, well, last weekend, which was great. Yeah, what a time to be alive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, wonderful time. So, um, yeah, good, really. And... Uh, Plenty to talk about today, sports-wise as well. There's a few few things in the news that we'll get to a bit later that have caught my eye. I'm sure you've got a couple of things as well. Yes, absolutely. Always mm-hmm. with my finger on the pulse of, of <laughs> rare and not so rare events, which we'll come on to. Um, Good. But should we should we hmm. plow straight into gold, silver, bronze, Dean Macy this week? I think we should. And you know, we've, you know, we've already thrown people off by you doing the intro, so we might yeah. as well go full hog and mix things up there as well so this yeah this is the creativity Got... that comes when you go for a pint outside so <laughs> exactly know. in the freezing cold yeah very much so so yes as you said in the intro it's it's rules that should be changed in sport uh and uh we also said we'd talk about unwritten rules didn't we that pick that we abide by already so, how do you want to do this? Should we start with the unwritten rules to warm uh, up, and then go uh, to the big ones? Or yeah, I think I think we should do the the rules that need changing because because I think unwritten rules are, are a good um, a sort of good one to discuss, but they're not going to change the the sporting landscape in the way that some of our rules could. I think that's very true. Yeah, you make so. a good point there. All right, so let's get let's go with the hard hitting stuff right from the start. Right, do you want to kick us off then? What's your first rule that should be introduced? Okay, so there's a, there's a couple of mine that sort of generated by things in modern sport that irritate me. Um, so I'm, uh, and part of that is links to sport not being as good as it used to be, which we talk about quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, rugby used to be self policing, so if you were behaving like a bit of a dick, you'd get a smack and you'd stop. I think recently, because they're worried about concussion and all that sort of thing, which is, you know, has merit. I'm not saying it doesn't. All that sort of modern rubbish. All that sort of modern rubbish, like health. Yeah, health and safety. I therefore, I just think that sort of punching someone in the ribs should be absolutely fine. Um, So (laughs) I've watched a couple of games recently where someone has just clearly been winding people up. They've got a bit of a smash in the chops, like which is not going to concuss them, but because it's technically contact with the head, the guy gets sent off. Mm. And it just, I think it's rewarding 
shithousery basically and I, I don't like it and I, I think it's you know it used to be that if you were cheating and falling on the wrong side people could trample you a bit you know not mm. hard just a bit and you wouldn't do it anymore and I think that's been mm-hmm. lost a little bit so that that okay. is something I, I think the sort of self-policing element of rugby should come back that's that's interesting funnily enough in the past uh, week I saw a clip on social media that was making a similar point where uh, you had it, it looked like it was maybe mid mid early to mid eighties uh, a rugby um, rugby match. I don't know what preceded this, uh, but one of them pretty much um, jaws you know punches some, the other guy in the jaw in a way that would have broken most of our our jaws instantly and shattered it. <laughs> Has another swing at him, and then you see the ref jumping between them, getting them to shake hands. And get on with the game, which they do, right? And then it contrasted that with a, a recent uh, football match where someone gets prodded in the chest, literally with one finger, and you see him getting stretched off, holding his face. So I think there is, I think <laughs> there is definitely some merit to what you're saying. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, hmm. I, I just, I just don't, don't like. I mean, that does make me think of another clip that I saw this week, which is completely mm-hmm. irrelevant, but I'm going to talk about it anyway. The last okay. sports film we watched together was uh, Creed. Creed. Mm. Um, and I saw a clip. So they, you know, uh, we talked about how good the fight scenes are and how well choreographed they are. Yeah, yeah. So for the, you know, the slow motion shots where he gets smashed in the face, they mm-hmm. have to do actual hits. And so there's a video yeah. of Michael B. Jordan taking one from Anthony Bellew. Oof. And they, Ouch. And he said, um, it, Anthony Bellew gave it about 40%, he reckoned, of a proper hit. And Oof. Michael B. Jordan was like, yeah, it only hurt for like four or five days. So it's... <laughs> but you can just see Even him more. just properly go, his legs go, and he just goes, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Right. That is worth, worth even more respect now and and uh, i can guarantee that won't be the last time the rocky universe is mentioned in this episode <laughs> as well so what's your okay. first suggestion that's a good one from you right so uh my first suggestion is um and this is one the authorities do need to listen to as a whole because they're all going to need to get together to enable this to happen but to eliminate seeding so no seeding in any sport and this will work on a, on a six-year trial so you get um the ability <laughs> to listen to r- <laughs> well it is really because you've got a cycle of at least four years in in certain sports like with the olympics and world cups and things like that. so it needs to run its course and another couple of years in case there's another pandemic let's say so um yeah so eliminate seeding completely from from all sports so just to illustrate how this would work in different sports. So in football, um, that means open draws for things like qualifiers. So you could get a, a proper group of death in the first group stage for even qualify for the tournament. You get Germany, Spain, Italy. Uh, there's usually one hope, no hope team in there. So like Scotland, say, would be in there maybe. But you could. <laughs> but, um, and, and similar in rugby as well. That's a very similar sorts of uh, setup in terms of quality. Um, uh, Bloody rugby like that, so. World Cup groups are so corrupt anyway that we virtually <laughs> is unseen at the moment. So yeah, mm, allegedly, yeah. So <laughs> so um, yeah. So there's that. 
in tennis that would mean I think tennis could really benefit from this so um qualifying would still be based on on your rank but then once you get in a tournament completely open draw none of this seeding nonsense so you know you could get Federer v Djokovic in the first round you know you turn up on that that that's maybe second round and and you think you're going to get like Federer winning in an hour and 50 minutes against a no-hover no he's playing Djokovic brilliant completely shakes things up so that's tennis thoughts so far it's enor- disappointing. I'm enormously positive about this. Um, okay, there's so, more. Okay, boxing. So um, yeah, it didn't take long to go to get to to Rocky. But so what would what without this sort of approach, you don't get. We've never heard of Rocky, let alone Creed, because um, Rocky got his shot at the world t- world title because of an unfortunate hand injury to the number one contender that Apollo Creed was going to fight. And because it was obviously the bicentennial for US independence, he said, what could be better than a local bum from the streets uh, who we just bring in and give him a shot? And what happens? Nearly beats him, spoiler alert, and uh, then goes on to become world champion. So what I'm saying is none of this fighting the number one contender or anything like that. You just pick, (laughs) you pick some names out of a hat uh just put them all in the pot and they just fight each other until there's uh yeah one left all, standing, all in basically. one ring at the same time well no, maybe we should save that to the um the wrestlemania themed yeah. uh girl to okay. but um but no no you could do that but no i'm thinking just yeah individual fights so you just get you know much more variety and someone could one punch could win somebody the world title is a no hoper athletics eliminate heats completely so again you get Everybody right from the start, not eliminate heats, eliminate seats, <laughs> eliminate seeding in heats. Six of them all go. <laughs> Actually, yeah, there's a couple of better suggestions that you'll just come up with. But um, yeah, so again, you've got to be on your game from the first round. That that that's that's my suggestion. Eliminate seeding. Thoughts? I I do like it. I do like it. So there's undoubtedly tournaments that would massively benefit from this, namely the Europa League, which should just go straight back to absolutely straight knockout because um, you, the problem with the Europa League is it ruins teams who haven't got the resources for it. Whereas if they Mm -hmm. gave it a couple of rounds and saw how they were doing the league, but you're just signed up for too long. Um, But, what I hadn't realised in the European Super League stuff that came up, um, they said one of the main drivers for the Champions League was that in the early 90s, uh, the Italian champions drew the Spanish champions in the first round. And it was just like, oh, God. So one of them mm-hmm. is going to go. I I think now that you could have four teams in each country, it wouldn't be such an issue. Um, mm. But... Certainly, doing groups where it's unseeded mm-hmm. is a happy mix, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Because yeah. you're guaranteeing everyone six games. And if it's Barca, yep. Bayern, Man United, and, you know, someone, Olympiacos, mm. then <laughs> fine. Mm. Uh, yeah. So I definitely think um, the Champions League would be brilliant. Yeah. Um, because it, mm. it, we, we did say as well in the ESL thing that uh, the one criticism of the Champions League is the groups you kind of know who's going to go through. Bit but, predictable, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. I would say it's never going to happen, but let's um, 
I don't think any of them are. Okay. <laughs> um, and actually, the Cricket World Cup, generally the better Cricket World Cups have been one group with all the teams in. Yeah, that's, yes. So mm-hmm. pick that's very true. pre-qualify. I mean, you won't like that, but get the best eight teams. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And you did say yeah. with Wimbledon, you get the best yeah, yeah. 64 players or however many it is. And then mm-hmm. it's totally open. Um, yeah. And okay. so... Yeah, I do. I do like that a lot. That's that's actually got some serious legs. It has. Let's hope the right people are listening. Good. Okay. Yeah. What's your, what's what have you got next then? Uh, so I think some sports have become a little bit unbalanced. So I've got a way of sorting this out. Okay. So cricket. So the when we talked about Alan Donald and Mike Atherton a couple of episodes ago. Yes. Mike Atherton, I mentioned Mike Atherton's bat looked like a toothpick. Because the bats now are absolutely massive, but they're still really light um, because they're just dried out. And the it's really gone kind of in favour of the batsmen. T20, it's gone in favour of the batsmen. The fielding restrictions went too far and they had to rein them back in. So mm. how would you balance it? I think ball tampering should be allowed. Like, Ooh. absolutely open season. Because you still need to be skillful to make the best of it so the alleged ball tampering in the early 90s from the pakistanis yeah. they were bowling amazingly and it doesn't matter if you know it was slightly suspicious how much the ball was moving you've still got to put it into action mm. but anything you use to ball temper has to be carried in the field so like, if you want if you want an orbital sander, you can have it, but you've got to carry it around when you field. So <laughs> it's going to be stuff like sandpaper or a bottle top. Stuff you can put in your pocket. Or yeah, yeah. So that you've got to draw the line somewhere, obviously. Um, well, yeah. And you're not allowed to delay the game. So you can't like have a break in play while you work on the ball. Um, mm. But yeah, I think so. I think that would um, that that would be good. And maybe you could give give the team a new ball a bit more regularly because then you could just like artificially scuff the ball up after a while and say, well, actually it's doing too, like, I don't like it when it's new because it goes off the bat too hard. So I'm just going to scuff it up. So my spinner can have a go. I think that's fine. Uh-huh. I mean, and, and, it, and it is a bit weird that, you know, if you said to someone who doesn't really like cricket, but watches a little bit like my wife and hmm. what's, you know, I said to her, well, the Aussies have been done for ball tampering. I was like, well, you polish the ball on your short, your trousers the whole time. What? Why is that allowed? Mm-hmm. It's like, I don't know. Just is someone decided at some yeah. point that keeping it, preserving is fine, but degrading is not fine. But actually, you throwing it into the ground so it bounces in and degrades a bit quicker, that is allowed. But rubbing it with something mm. isn't allowed. It's just totally arbitrary. And I, I actually think when the ball's moving around, cricket's more exciting to watch. So for Test match cricket. I'm going ball tampering. I think I think it's fine. Thoughts? That is a that that's good. That's another good one because for exactly the reason you said, it's quite arbitrary the fact that you can't do stuff like that. They could have easily decided when the sport was invented that actually here's a way of making it even more interesting. You can scuff it up with these things. So yeah, and it again it would make it uh, teams would have to work out how best to do it, what implement to use, <laughs> what substance. Um, I, I like it. Now, the only question is it is that akin though to uh, legalizing drugs in all sports? Um, 
Well, there's no long term so cheaper, damage. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're true. The health, the health thing is a different, yeah. big difference, yeah. obviously. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody health and yeah. safety. Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, there is obviously long term uh, damage to steroid users, I would suggest. Um, but I still think there's a skill of of being able to put it into action. Um, yeah. Actually, thinking about it, there is a health risk as well to the bull tempering. I'm speaking as someone who worked in a in a factory for six weeks, sanding down the handles of um of of uh what do you call it kitchen cabinets and things. Right. Uh, six weeks of doing that, and I'll never forget about four weeks in, um, going coming home, putting toast in the toaster, trying to pick it out whilst it was still hot. I literally hit the floor. Uh, because I'd worn away like the um, the ends of my uh, my fingertips, and it was like raw heat going into my nerves. Uh, yeah, I seem to remember hitting the floor, crying, and going to bed. So there is there is there are some health um, aspects potentially. Did you eat the toast though? No, not at all. Oh, God. Well, maybe the next day. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there is a comparison there. But um, again, I like it. That's that's that would I think it would improve the sport. Well, it certainly mix it up a bit. And why not? We've only been speaking about fifteen minutes, and sport will yeah. never be the same again already. That's pretty, it's pretty good. Um, okay, right. So my next one is this is a bit of a tribute to to Arsene Wenger, who first first person I remember using this phrase during the period when Arsenal players were getting sent off every other week. And he'd come out and say, uh, it felt more like an orange card to me uh, than a red. Uh, and I think you need to introduce orange cards in football. So, which would have a sin bin um, punishment to them. So only, in, in, you know, and you could be very specific and prescriptive about uh, when you were going to issue an orange card. So you could say, like in basketball or something, could commit five niggly fouls. Even if they're little low low level ones, orange card, Simbin. Um, wave an imaginary red uh, imaginary card would automatically be an orange one, that which be would a, be that should be a capital offence. <laughs> well, orange card first, then more <laughs> drastic measures. Let's go with that. You know, I think there should be a specific one for Jose Mourinho when he leaps off the bench aggressively and starts slagging off his female doctor. Orange card for first offence you know eliminated from football completely second offense so yeah i think orange an orange card for specific and sim binning footballers i think it's is just would just be a brilliant thing to do because some of the pathetic things that they do on the pitch it's a brilliant way of stopping them from doing it thoughts yeah i i do think it's got merit i actually think it's better suited to some other sports where you where red cards ruin the game uh and so rugby, actually, they are trialling this at the moment. I don't know if you knew this yeah. bit. So mm-hmm. um, for red cards, you uh, rather than um, it being a man down for the rest of the game, you're a man down for 20 minutes. So it's a sin bin is 10, whereas a red card is 20 minutes. And then you can bring on a sub, but not the person who got sent off. Oh. Um, and... Okay. The reasoning behind it is that you're, they've introduced they, a much more severe way of policing 
things around head injuries where if you accidentally clip someone in the head, it's a red card, but it's completely accidental. So whereas mm. historically in rugby, red cards are for really reckless things, like dangerous, mm. stupid things. Um, but the problem is, I think that's wrong because at the moment they're having loads of red cards because people are clipping people in the head. But if you know that you're going to get sent off, you'll change your behavior so you don't clip someone in the head and you still could concuss them. And it's always mm. an accident. Like no one sets out to concuss someone else, do they? So I don't think it's the right thing in rugby necessarily, but you do feel there are instances where, I mean, if you paid 85 quid to go to Twickenham to watch a test match and someone went to hand someone off in the first, uh, first five minutes, got the timing wrong and elbowed someone in the throat and that was a red card and it ruined the game, you'd be furious. Mm. And I think mm. that's why they've kind of introduced it, but it's a difficult one. Whereas in football, I just think they should just be less tolerant of players, really. Because that's what you're saying. Yeah. It would be generally used for just people mm. being knobs. But the but the um the being less tolerant is that is the it's the orange card coming out. Which isn't, you know, because they're they're doing annoying things rather than um, red card offences. Yeah. So, we, so what, sometimes, go on. Is it a 10 minutes in bin? Yeah, yeah, let's say 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've thought it through, yeah, yeah. Yeah, go on um, then. <laughs> so, now let's make it nine. So it's like it's it's, it's, it's 10% of yeah. the game. Okay, yeah. right, yeah. Mm. Um, so what if someone is through on goal and you bring them down? Is that a uh, that, that can That can be dealt with with the, the existing laws of the game. So professional foul red one match ban and if they do it and it's a penalty which also gets which gets scored mm, if it depends on whether okay so you could like in american football you could have um them offsetting so if someone gets brought down yeah. And then gets up and waves an imaginary yellow card or red card at the ref, right? Then it, it wipes out that foul completely and the uh, the orange card uh, super, uh, supersedes that. So, no, there's no extra punishment for doing it. There's already punishments for that. But but if someone waves the card, then they're going to go and then it's, it's it, yeah, the foul is negated. It offs- it is, it's cancelled completely. So that you've just uh, introduced a new element, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I think... I think what? there's some merit to it. I'm not sure you've quite got it right. Uh, no? Okay. So it's one that Wenger in his new role, who will undoubtedly bring this in, um, because he, he, you know, he first came up with the concept... Uh, we'll have to consider the details. I mean, I'm not here to come up with the details. You know, I'm here to sort of just put things out there. I'm not the how guy. I'm just the what guy. (laughs) Exactly. Very much so. Um, (laughs) Mm. Another thing that I'm going to pick up on this, which is really pedantic, because it happens to be at work today. If you're going to have three cards that rely on colours, it shouldn't be yellow, red and orange. I know orange is halfway between a yellow and a red. 
architects always do this. They were like, <laughs> oh yeah, we've done all the house types and we've highlighted them in different shades of blue so you can tell them apart. It's like, why didn't you make them green, red and orange, like completely different colours? Because then I'll be able to see it no matter how my printer is. Like if, if I've got the different printer to you at home, they'll all look the same. So yeah. Yeah, but as someone who did um, green, blue and orange or whatever it was recently this last week in fact and then was told by someone who was colorblind that could only see like a couple of colors it, it this whole area is fraught so <laughs> you know so as oh. i said well you know other people well orange card it can be called the orange card but it could be i don't know purple how about that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah fair enough. Good. all right uh what's your next one um so I have borrowed this from Max Rushton of the Guardian Football Podcast. Uh, overhead kicks should okay. always be onside. Okay. Because <laughs> I just think they're amazing. Tell me more. So even if, you, if you're miles offside and you know it, you should have to like try something jazzy. So This is good, actually. So what you're saying is someone could be miles offside, um, and someone could spot them miles onside and play the ball in a way which that gives them an opportunity to do an overhead kick to score. But that's the only way they can score. Yeah. Or touch the ball, really, even. Right. Yeah. Okay. I'd And I'd like to bring in that it's some kind of, like, you've got to get... It's not just one way you, like, shin it in the opposite corner, but I do appreciate that's hard to enforce. Um, that seems like, ridiculously harsh. Yeah. You if someone manages to score... From a, a, a head kick, hit the shin. Wayne Rooney's famous one against Man City was a shinner. <laughs> shinner yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, what I'm thinking, you know, it, and it it came up when um, Olivier Giroud scored against Atletico, and mm. it was, I mean, we haven't even covered VAR in this, but um, mm. it was, uh, it got hooked into the box, and he overhead kicked it into the net. And then there's a massive review for offside. So he was in an offside position, but it was judged that the defender had hooked it back, not the not the attacker. So he was on. But you oh. had all the kind of occasion and drama was ruined by the VAR review. And it was just mm. like, well, it should be it should be onside because it's an amazing overhead kick. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that one as well. In fact, right. that might well be my favourite. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't have any more. Have you got any more? Uh, yeah, I've got a couple more. Um, Go on then, chuck them in. So, in baseball, if you work someone round all the bases with like three little hits, you get one run for the person mm. who scores. If you hit a massive home run, you get one run, and if you get a home run that just goes over, you get home. We get one, and it's all the yeah. same. So there's always a yellow line that goes around the outside to designate where the home run is. So if it bounces above that line, it's home run and everyone can walk around. Mm. So I think there should be another line above that that's like red, mm. which should be worth two. So, you know, if you hit home run and there's two guys on the bases, you get three because yeah. you get yours and then those two. Whereas I think you should get two if you smack an absolute oofer you should get to so so that and i think that's not as skewed as uh 
some cricketers have suggested you should get 12 for a really big six but i think that's like if you literally hit it out of the park yeah 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 but i just mm. think that's that's too much um, yeah that's unrealistic unlike all the stuff we've been talking about yeah agreed <laughs> yeah but <laughs> uh, yeah i think that's disproportionate uh, <laughs> okay, yeah fair enough um mm, that's good and then i also yeah. uh another balance sport was better than it is now um mm-hmm. I um I, I'm not a massive fan of modern rugby shirts. So um, as players got massive and stacked, what defenders didn't need was for at the same time as that happening, for players to be wrapped in skin tight lycra rather than slightly baggier shirts with collars where you could grab people. Right. Um, and also, there's a lot of I'm a season ticket holder at rugby. There's a lot of people who wear pro fit shirts for drinking guinness which is <laughs> not really it's not really good for anyone so i think that that really rugby shirts should be designed with spectators in mind um and okay. i did mention in our six nations preview that scotland had a really nice shirt this this year with a proper collar um and mm. therefore i think collars should be an absolute minimum um, I think it's like okay. you know, like golf courses, like you, you collared shirt or you're not allowed on. Um, and then, <laughs> uh, yeah, ideally, if again hard to enforce how how players should wear it, but I think there should be like I think pro fit shirts for spectators should be just outlawed uh, for people who choose to wear them because either because they fancy themselves or because. They're just fat and they think it'd be funny. But also for people like me who have accidentally bought one and put it on and what oh God, look like a bloody sausage mistake from the sausage factory. So yeah, um, so that is one of my current <laughs> beefs. Um, uh-huh. So that's kind of uh, everything. Um, okay. What's your unwritten rule? Very good. Unwritten rule. Um. There's a cricket one that I think you've sort of talked about in the part, some stuff about cricket, uh, the ball hitting your pads uh, and umpires, old school umpires, not taking, not taking kindly uh, to that. If you're playing a sweep shot. Yeah. Um, Well, if you're playing park uh, cricket, it's even more extreme than that, isn't it? It's basically if the ball hits your pad, at all, because usually there's no umpire when you're just having like a knock around. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it has any chance whatsoever of hitting the wheelie bin, <laughs> then you are, <laughs> then you're out. That is an absolute cast iron unwritten rule. Yeah, even I people think... on your own team would give you out. Yeah, especially if you've been batting for more than about a minute and a half. Yeah, because they just want to get in. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's the equivalent of holding your bat it, 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 throughout the whole innings. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, so definitely that. Um, I once became a pariah in 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 five aside midweek football by claiming a penalty, which was just like, what, what are you doing? There aren't any penalties in five aside, <laughs> and yeah, that was that was a bad a bad moment. Yeah, for me. That, I scored really, the pen. That really, uh, it's worse. Yeah. That reeks of someone who watches too much TV. 
It does, isn't it? Yeah. That um, that so unwritten rules shouldn't there's no penalties in either side. <clears throat> um we had uh, for the cricket team I play for in London, we um had a guy who uh, he was quite a good cricketer, but nowhere near good enough to sustain the level of just... <sighs> he was a bit of a badger, but he just left himself open to such like ridicule from the opposition that like every week he just got an absolute volley. And one of the things he did that really raised the ire of people, and you've got to be good to do this, is... Uh, so, you know, when you take guard, so you ask, like, for middle stump and you'd, like, make everyone makes a mark with their bat. Like, every pro. There's about a few pros who take the bale off and then knock the bale into the ground. And he did that. Mm-hmm. And it, you just cannot, <laughs> you just cannot do that and expect not to get loads of um, And sure enough, when he did that once, when I was batting with him in the opposition... Australian wicketkeeper went, bloody hell, man, you watch too much TV. And uh, we were just like, <laughs> trying not to laugh. But yeah, that there's a few, un- I'd forgotten about the unwritten rules of, of yeah, cricket. Um, mm. One is tucking your trousers into your socks before you put your pads on, which is like, practically, it does sort of make sense, mm. but it looks so village. And it's just like the pros don't do it. Should be doing it. So yeah, that that's that's one. If you do that, you will get an absolute volley as well. So yeah. Oh no! Thinking of cricket, another um, unwritten rule: if you're just having a knockabout, is obviously no one really counts how many deliveries you've done. And at some point, someone will ask you how many have you got left. The answer is always two. <laughs> always, always, yeah, yeah. always. I mean, we do, uh, when we're playing, this happened on Saturday, first game, league game of the season. Mm. Uh, someone did one hand, one bounce. And we all went, yeah! <laughs> and it like a serious level of cricket. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> Which I hadn't mm. played since I last. I think the last time I played one hand, one bounce was um, we were playing on the outfield of a county championship match at like T. And the beer cooler was the stumps. It was that level of, you know, <laughs> um, but yeah, the the other one, if someone's hit on the pad not playing a shot, everyone appeals. Like even if it's going so far over the stumps, that that's an unwritten rule. You just always appeal if they don't play a shot. And then look absolutely <laughs> yeah, yeah. incredulous that's, that's not out. And the umpire's like, well it was it nearly hit him in the nuts. It's so high. It's like, yeah, but he didn't play a shot. It's like, that's <laughs> not the rule, though, is it? So, yeah, that's that's a good one. <laughs> it is the unwritten rule. It's the unwritten rule, mm. yeah. yeah. And obviously, in, in a, a football one, showboating, uh, not allowed, not, not appreciated. If you're at least, what, four goals up, just don't do it. Uh, I, I remember a friend of mine sending me a video, a YouTube video once, which he he entitled 
<laughs> we'll have no showboating here. It was a it was a South American uh, yes, yes. South American match. You can imagine what happened. That basically they all stop playing and chase this guy. It's basically running for his life, and he leaps over that. You know, some stadiums have the stairs that you walk up. He leaps <laughs> into the stair into the stairwell for his life because um, he dared to showboat when there were four or five. Yeah, up. there's. Yeah, a, I was going to say it's South American ones are best for that. There's one where the guy. Yeah. Stands on the ball and salutes. Have you seen that? Yeah, salutes. And, yes, and that just and, and you just see a guy not kicks even off. run in, just like two foot him in the chest, yeah. and it just all completely kicks yeah. off. Yeah, yeah, mm. um, yeah. But mm-hmm. someone sent me the That'd clip an, of um, the infamous Copa del Rey game the other day, which is the one where like. Um, so it's Bill Bow versus Barcelona when Maradona was playing for Barcelona and they just try and kick him mm. off the field. And so right. he just gets up and like karate kicks the goalie in the face. <laughs> it just yeah, totally he actually knees him in the, in the yeah, head. Yeah. Totally kicks Insane. off. Yeah. Yeah. Orange card for that, I think. Maybe uh, uh, yeah. the orange card for like, yeah, I know it was GBH, but you were inciting him, so it's just the orange. <laughs> yeah, it offsets slightly, so it's not a red; it's an orange. Yeah, that could work. Yeah, mm. I think mean, that that would, I think, yeah, that and that we, you know, something similar for rugby. It's like, well, yeah, he did punch you in the face, but you were asking for it, so it's sort of <laughs> self policing with the orange card. I yeah, it's um, yeah, it's got legs. Yeah. Well, I think um, mm-hmm. I think we've pretty much revolutionised sport there. I think um, so. Yeah. So, gold, silver, bronze, team Macy. <laughs> right. Got a lot to choose uh, from. We really do have um, now. I know you. So I, I really it. like the seeding. I actually think that has like got genuine merit. Um, okay. So, I, it would certainly mix up sport, wouldn't it, and just make things a bit less predictable. What do you think? A lot you less ma- predictable. Like if you if you get the first few days at Wimbledon, that first week mm. in Wimbledon, when you can get it's much easier to get tickets because and there's loads of stuff. Yeah, you could absolutely mm. end up with absolute bangers, couldn't you? Yeah, exactly. Um, and it's like when people are coming back from injury and or get a wild card or something like when even East mm-hmm. won with a wild card and he was just like yeah had someone quite big in the first round and you just get that all the time I think it'd be great um, mm-hmm. I mean the final might be rubbish but a lot of the finals are rubbish anyway if if it's like exactly one of the big servers who's just managed to get all the way through and somehow again against Djokovic it's like over an mm. hour and a half yeah. It, people need to get away from the fact it's all about the finals when you could just have so much uh, entertainment on the way to it. So yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So seeding, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, the overhead kicks one. I mean, is I I <laughs> I just think it's brilliant. <laughs> like I I'd, I would just love to see people um, <laughs> to, just continually attempt to do it, even when it's you know because <laughs> getting offside of doing that, even when it's just not on. I think it'd be absolutely brilliant. I mean, it could revolutionise Sunday league football, couldn't it? <laughs> All these hungover guys with like dislocated shoulders. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm a big fan of that. Um, right, what else did we have? Uh, so we've got the ball tampering. We've got self policing. Yeah, rugby, we've got the orange cards. We've got college mm. shirts. So I think. Mm-hmm. I do think it feels like 
seeding and um, overhead kicks. Yeah. <laughs> what? I, I hadn't considered until I said it just then that the effect that overhead kicks would have on <laughs> non-professional football. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Which I think would be really funny, and it's now promoting it, it up up the order a bit. <laughs> yeah, I agreed. <laughs> I think that's a potential gold gold medalist, personally. All right, let's go for it then. Overhead kick. Okay. Oh. Mm-hmm. Gold. So silver. Should we put seeding being abolished? Yeah. It's a really good one. Abolish seeding, and then bronze uh, and Dean Macy. Hmm. So, um, remind me what your other ones were again. Uh, so, rugby s- should be more self-policing. Ball tampering mm. in cricket. Mm-hmm. Uh, massive home runs should be worth two. And rugby should always be played in collar shirts. The collar shirts has got a good shout of the Dean Macy spot, I would say. Okay. Um, Shall I put that mm. in? I yeah. do think I think ball tampering should should be an actual rule. That's yeah, my most serious one. So, and it's a very credible, yeah, exactly, credible one that could be implemented immediately. Perfect. Right there we go. Nice. So, uh, yeah, a nice little uh, someone on the top of the podium performing a, an an overhead kick. <laughs> and then sil- silver is. Due to the abolition of uh, seeding, uh, mm-hmm. he's actually ranked. He's got a silver medal, but he's ranked seventy eighth in the world. But he's just <laughs> a really good draw. <laughs> uh. Okay, shall we delve into our mailbag then? Yes, uh, we do have something which was uh, from our sporting rivalries, individual head to head duels. From a couple of episodes ago. I mean, it sounds so, like we only got one email. But what, what you're saying is, we got one that stood out amongst the, the hundreds that we received. But, but yes, one. What? Yes, what I clearly meant was one that I wanted to focus on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, and that is uh, it's from Essie. Who's been in touch again? Hi, sis. Um, and so she she thought uh, of two female uh, rivalries because we we didn't do any female at all. Which horrified her a bit. So she she sent through a couple, horrified and they're both really bit. good ones, actually. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, are you slightly I was, horrified? I was a bit horrified. Okay. <laughs> so um, yeah, yeah. So the two are um, well. First one, Fatima Whitbread, Tessa Sanderson, two leading javelin uh, throws of the eighties. And Whitbread was the, uh, this is a really good shout, actually. I, now, I'd forgotten, and in fact, I don't think I realised quite how bitter that rivalry was. So Sanderson was number one, British number one, for a lot of the, the 80s. Um, sorry, did I say Sanderson? Anyway, Whitbread was was um, number one for a lot of the 80s. Uh, but Sanderson kept had this habit of popping up and winning the big golds. So she did that in the 1984 Olympics. She snatched the gold, I think, with her final throw from under Whitbread's nose and two years later did exactly the same thing in the Commonwealth Games. So Whitbread never did win um, uh, one of those big ones where she was up against um, Sanderson. So they they had that rivalry. They didn't like each other. Sanderson 
so apparently about 20 years later, so, uh, when Whitbread was on um, uh, I'm a Celebrity, Sanderson was tweeting all sorts of, of abuse and talking about really? her being a man. Oh. Yeah, yeah. She she was she won those big encounters, and yet she's talking about her being manly, you know, and stuff like that. Just obviously massively out of order. Um, yeah, Whitbread. Yes, no love lost on that side either. So prop, proper rivalry with a lot of bitterness, and you know, high stakes as well. Gold medals, two leading British British athletes. So that's a really good, really good shout. So that that's another one that links to a couple that we we talked about um so we watched this wasn't on the pod but we watched 9.79 the ben johnson documentary and we talk, talked about what a massive thing those olympic events were because mm. at the time when you only had three channel four channels sorry yep. on tv mm -hmm. you didn't have satellite tv really and so these people who won stuff at those like you know Cohen Ovet and those rivalries mm. um, were absolutely enormous. And I remember like Tessa Sanderson and Fatima Whitbread being on like the generation game and, and like, <laughs> yes. you know, shows like that, which were getting 15 million viewers on a Saturday night and they turn up as the guests. And it's very different now. I think it's much, you know, you appreciate just how famous those people were. And to me, mm. that's quite similar to the, the snooker thing we said that, that it was just so big in the 80s and mm. 90s that the tv audiences for those sort of things absolutely enormous huge um, yeah that's a really good point absolutely and um yeah they were yeah genuine household names yeah because they pop up on like entertainment and stuff yeah you're right um but also i liked about that rivalry is that yeah if you looked at the two of them next to each other like fatima waterbread looked like an athlete yeah but tess sonson didn't like no, no. didn't look you wouldn't have thought so she she throws things an absolute mile for a living yeah? like <laughs> doesn't look like that but um yeah I, <laughs> the thing i thought just say so to move on from that, that that is a very good one um mm. a little bit before my time i don't remember because 84 olympics was i was too young to remember but um the when we talked about snooker and how famous it was during the 80s and we talked about the Dennis Taylor final, can you imagine trying to explain to someone who is like, even someone I'd say, someone I work with who's 18 now, trying to explain to them the concept of, yeah, snooker, it was so big that Cockney duo Chaz and Dave did a song <laughs> about snooker, which I think got to number one. Probably. At a time when you had to sell a lot of records to get into number one. Yeah. Uh-huh. And but I reckon if we found we could find our like friends of ours in their late early early forties who could sing vast swathes of that song. Absolutely. And name several of the, the, the snooker players in it in in it as well. <laughs> yeah, I could pretty much name them all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, you know, that's uh, yeah. an era of FA Cup final songs and things like that, which are yes. you know, not, not a thing mm. anymore. Which is, also by yeah. Chaz and Dave, usually, yeah. Yeah, mm. I remember the Tottenham one, yeah, about mm. the, the year ending in one. Uh, oh, yeah, that was their third and, and, and worst of the three. There was obviously, there was Aussie's Dream. <laughs> Spurs were on their way to Wembley. Oh, no, that was... Uh, uh, was that not 81? Yes, that was it. Yeah, Spurs were on their way yeah. to Wembley. Tottenham's going to do it again and all that stuff quite worrying knowledge for an arsenal fan this but yeah i continue. i know 
bitter. Actually, yeah, I, actually, I'm, I, I do have some rights to uh, some wrongs to write in terms of speaking <laughs> quite nicely about Spurs in, in recent episodes, but we'll get to that in the future. But um, yeah, yes, that <laughs> snooker loopy. Snooker loopy, not so we. Yeah, I mean... yeah. Mm. And and there was a there was a snooker game show. Big break. Big break. And Saturday black. night. Before that, yeah, of course. Black, yeah. Where yeah. it's like a timed frame, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, big break, I remember. Yeah. Jim Davidson. With everyone's okay. favourite racist, Jim Davidson, yeah. um, presenting it. Yeah, in primetime BBC. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. What a time to be a snooker <laughs> fan, eh? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, right, and another rivalry that Essie sent through uh, was uh, the Martina Navarrete over Chrissy Everett. 80s rivalry this is a massive yeah. iconic 70s and 80s rivalry and i i think i briefly mentioned in passing when we did that one that i considered um borg mackinroe and looking into this borg mackinroe another iconic rivalry. they played each other 14 times whereas Everett and Everett played each other 80 times they played each other more in finals i think than borg and mackinroe played each other in total um wow. and a lot of people Probably people who generally watch Wimbledon about other things probably think it was really one-sided because Navratilova won most of their encounters on grass. But the head-to-head was actually 43-37, so quite wow. tight. Yeah. Yeah, and Everett um, won uh, most of the ones on clay, so she, I think, still holds the joint record for the amount of um, uh, French Opens that she won. Uh, so, yeah, just... A, brilliant rivalry that's a really good um shout it is so we met you know we mentioned var earlier uh, in yes. passing and we we very um yeah i think we did well to avoid using that as a rule that should change but i'm gonna have a rant now anyway about a similar thing based on navratilova versus Everett, right so I remember distinctly their final match at Wimbledon, which I think was like one of the final three matches they ever played each other. And the reason I remember it, and a lot of people who watched it will remember it as well, is because of the really controversial ending. So it's a three-set classic. It's really, really tight. Everett comes back to uh, from 40 love down to break serve when she's like looks like she's going to go out. And everyone knows it's her final Wimbledon as well. And then that happens again in, 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 the, in the next... Uh, um, uh, game she comes back again but she gets to I think um, 30 40 and then she hits a shot which flicks the net and bounces just is it on the line umpire overrules it calls it calls it out right there's no Hawkeye in those, those days that's it once that decision's made so she stands there like you know you've got this wrong sort of thing but and never a love is coming to the net going you're going to shake my hand or what? And she's really, really bitter about it. And that's how she goes out. So that happened, what, 35 years ago or something like that? Something like that. Mm. I remember it distinctly. If Hawkeye had exist, existed then with it, like, someone overall it, would I be remembering that match now? No, I wouldn't. It no. would just been another point. It wouldn't have been this dramatic ending. I say scrap technology in sports completely. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, whilst you're at it, Cricket, get rid of all of it and go back to umpire's eyes. There you go. Thoughts? Uh, Edgbaston 2005, the last wicket, which wouldn't have been out. There you go. 
yeah. And well, I think the we whole can... the whole it it's difficult, isn't it? Because you you sort of think I'm not sure bad decisions do balance themselves themselves out over time, hmm. but the euphoria of winning a game on a LBW decision, mm-hmm. if you had to wait for a review, would just be so it, yeah. I mean, well it happens, isn't it? And it, it's just I think for runouts mm-hmm. and stumpings, because there isn't the immediate I ne- I never felt that ruin the theatre of it and it's line decisions. Yeah. Um but yeah, it does it does take a bit out of it in cricket. And I do think yeah. just an absolute mm-hmm. honking decision against an Australian is always really funny. Um, <laughs> I mean, Damien Martin exactly. in that series, I mean, he was only genuinely out about twice. He just kept whacking it <laughs> to his leg and getting given out of LBW. Um, uh. But yeah, can you imagine if that that court behind had been yeah. overturned and then... There you go. Um, and uh, was that Kasparovic? Was Kasparovic, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He he even said he would have been disappointed if it hadn't been given out and he'd bowled it. That that sort of um, yeah. Well, it's not know. a rule everyone knows. Uh, it mm. hit his glove, but you've got to be mm-hmm. holding your bat holding with that glove. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Um, mm. so anyway, yeah. I'm pleased I've got that rant out of the way. So that's good. No, that, yeah. that's so, a good rivalry again. So I remember Navratilova, but I don't remember ever. No, I don't remember and... playing. I remember who she was because she was a pundit immediately afterwards because she saw yes. that sort of glamorous American role mm-hmm. that they always had on Wimbledon. Yeah. Um, whereas, yeah, um, Navratilova was more competing against Steffi Graf when I first. Yes, yeah. And it's when Graf was like winning everything. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, mm-hmm. no, thank you for that contribution. That's, uh, yeah, a couple of good ones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and you know always good to have some rivalries that are not not in tuxedos so is there any news that's taken taking your fancy this week yeah a couple a couple of uh big news stories everyone should be aware that chelsea uh have got to the champions league final playing man city all english final the reason I'm raising this is because as I was watching, I thought, hmm, so Tuchel's done quite well here. You know, he's taken over Chelsea, um, you know, midway through the season. It's like, hmm. Oh, no, where, this is going. <laughs> where, where, where have I heard, you know, someone predicting this before? And then I remembered this from our first podcast. To be fair to Chelsea, the the managers they've brought in usually – midway through the season have had an immediate impact hitting a couple of times Benny Tez Avram Grant did he come in as a replacement so you know it, it, it's a it's a formula that that has worked before so I basically predicted that Tuchel would get Chelsea to the Champions League final I think the evidence is there <laughs> um, I so that's not thoughts. what you're going to say actually <laughs> what did you think I was going to say? Well, I'm pretty sure I said in the same exchange I didn't think Tuchel was the right man for the job. I thought that's oh. where we were going with it. I'll find that clip as well. Insert so, that in now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so well, I, th- I think we can definitely agree that Frank Lampard would not have got them to the Champions League final. That is true. But that is still an eerie, you know, eerily accurate um, prediction 
from me. What do you say? In is fact, it, some would is say... It eerie, is it... Uh, if you see something that's happened twice before and say, oh, this has happened twice before and it's worked, I'm not sure that's an unca- like an eerie prediction. I think it is because nobody expected Chelsea to, to go from where they were to the Champions League final. And the fact the fact that you're not willing to admit that I am Nostradamus <laughs> is quite quite disappointing, frankly. I knew you'd react this way, but yeah. <laughs> Predicted on the nose, Tuchel takes them to the Champions League final. The audio doesn't lie. So that was one of the main things that's happened this week. Uh, you spotted anything? Yeah, so uh, I was going to cover the Lions. Um, ah. so the best thing about the Lions announcement is that it, it brings to an end the endlessly tedious yet quite addictive concept of reading people's lion squads which are always disgustingly biased in favor of either in favor of what the country you support or against the country you hate the most um so the the sort of controversial elements of the squad uh is so england have got the most players but it's broadly very equal across the four squads uh, the four uh, countries that, that, that make up the Lions um, but so Scotland have got eight which is um, I mean I think they've had eight across the last three or four squads cumulatively so that like is an unbelievable result and I think there were nine Scots who had a chance and, mm. and I thought four or five would get in so that's brilliant that eight of them have got in um, mm. Ireland have got eight um, England have got 11 and about four or five of those play for Saracens who are currently in the championship. Mm. So they're not playing top level rugby. They also play for England who aren't brilliant at the moment. Um, mm. So that would normally annoy me, but Ireland have got so angry about it that I absolutely <laughs> love it. <laughs> so I mentioned <laughs> in uh, the... Um, when we talked about the Six Nations, how much, how obnoxious Ireland are towards Scotland. <laughs> yes. And they have totally kicked off. They've, there's a couple of guys who are unlucky to be left out. So James Ryan, um, Gary Ringrose, potentially. Uh, but there's there's a one, certainly one prop who got picked above Sinclair, Carl Sinclair, who is lucky to be in, I would say. Um, but they they should have legitimate beef with England, who finished basically last in the Six Nations apart from Italy um, and got well beaten by Ireland and and Scotland. Uh, and they had loads, you know, they've had loads of justified, you know, just, they could be perfectly justified in complaining that these Irish players have missed out and the English players have got in, but they haven't. They've complained about the number of Scotland players. It's like, <laughs> hang on, it's not, what have you, why us? Why is it always... What is- like, what is your <laughs> what is their problem? And it's just Bizarre. always there's always teams who just hate you and you're just like, what? Why? Like, shouldn't you shouldn't you hate them? Like, we should all hate England. Like there's there's quite <laughs> you know, political historic events to hate England for. There's the fact mm. that they're the most rich rugby team that are really arrogant that lord it over everyone. You know, there's been articles this week which have said, Oh, England massively underrepresented it's like had a terrible year and you've got the most players still so it's like (laughs) 
I'm not sure that's underrepresented in any definition of it. But wow, I think Ireland have won the proper, you know. That is uh, really funny. I, I, I've never been aware of this, this, this Ireland, Scotland thing. Uh, I'm going to look out for it now because it sounds like there's much joy to be had. Oh, there really hmm. is. There's a couple of. Um, so there's one guy in particular who, uh, and and it might just be because it's a tabloid type, you know, uh, all the the equivalent of of a sort of tabloid sports section where they're just out there to get, hmm. you know, it's clickbait basically. But um, there was one today. It was something like the the selection of the Scots in the British rugby, in the Lions rugby team, is not just an affront to Irish rugby. It's an assault. It's an affront to intelligence. Like, mm. what? It just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, <laughs> but it's just, you just sort of sit back and like, um, all right, yeah, whatever, mate. Okay. <laughs> Uh, I have one final um, big story, which is an F1 story. I'm interested in your thoughts on this. Go ahead. So um, Formula One season started extremely well. Uh, obviously did the preview a few uh, shows ago, and it has lived up to expectations. Vettel, and uh, not Vettel, um, uh, Hamilton and Verstappen are the top two, and uh, Hamilton's won one, uh, three. Uh, Verstappen's won the other one, nip and tuck, brilliant. But there's a big like, dark side to the season, which is, you know how Formula One is probably the richest? If you think per competitor, there's more money in that sport than probably any other sport, I would imagine. Millions, billions of pounds, 20 drivers. Uh, when the pandemic started, who was it who were offering to mobilise quickly and you know produce ventilators? Formula One because, you know, they can mobilise like that. It's what we do. And yet, they can't seem to find masks that fit the the uh, the drivers, <laughs> that they don't have to keep pulling up every two seconds. So I don't know if you watched much Formula One this season, or any. Uh, no, I haven't, I'm afraid. So if you did, you would notice whenever they're interviewing anybody, whether it's the team principals, the drivers, even the broadcasters, Brundle, they're constantly pu pushing their masks back up their faces. And these are like McLaren branded, Ferrari. <laughs> these aren't just, uh, you know, your $5.99 from Amazon uh, jobbies. Um, so, so the worst offenders here, Daniel Ricciardo, Sebastian Vettel. If there was an outbreak in the paddock, I guarantee uh, <laughs> Sebastian Vettel would have started it by touching his mask all the time, every other word. It is uh, it's it's completely and utterly ridiculous. Um, how how can this be happening, Tom? Thoughts on on this scandal? I've got quite a big face, so <laughs> right. I do. There, I, I do have. So I've taken the approach to masks of buying about ten between ten and twelve and stashing them in every single coat pocket. Two <laughs> yeah, in some coats. Excellent tactic. Yeah. Uh, but I've only got one that properly fits me and it's kind of got a panel under the chin and it properly sits on and it's really good. Okay. A lot of the, the sort of ones that are really cheap and rubbish and are just stashed in various places, including the one that's mm. over the gear stick in the car. 
that is too small for my face. It's fine if you're just walking around, but if you're talking, it mm. does ride down, and then you're kind of very mm. like pulling it up and yeah. Um, Are any of your masks made by a Formula One team? Just asking. No, the, the one that's really good is actually made by a brewery. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hmm. Well, bra- branded by the brewery anyway, but it's not like the F1 hmm. team are actually making their masks, is it? So, <laughs> no. That, <sighs> do they have? Are they ones with little filters in? Some of them do have that. You I would think, think they'd be that. at the cutting edge. You yeah. would. Yeah. Yeah. But, no, it's not. It is genuinely ruining my enjoyment of the season. Yeah, <laughs> that's because they're having to talk while they're, you know, being interviewed. A bit of a... Yeah, I don't know why you're making excuse for these multi-billion-pound uh, companies. All they've got to do is make. They've got like little bits of the wing that cost about five million pounds ago, <laughs> and they can't make a mask that stays on someone's face when they talk. Anyway, rant over. That, and that's it. For me, in terms of the news, anything else from you? You know, someone had said to us in February 2020, it's like, in a year's time, you'll be sitting talking about Chaz and Dave singing Snooker Loopy and the workings of face masks and when you wear them and recording it and putting it on the internet. I would have said, bring it on. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Good. Well, I enjoyed that. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, until next time. Goodbye. Cheers.